Well, hello, all you tantalizing terrapins out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast about nature, sustainability, and conservation. I'm one of your hosts, Casey. And I'm Sarah. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another week. How are you doing, Sarah? Oh, Casey. We had a day, guys. (laughs) I feel like we said the same thing last week, and I don't want to be negative. We won't, we won't go too far into it. This is going to, this is going to be, I mean, this, this episode is about positivity. Yes. And I need it. That's what I'll say. In general, we're talking about positivity and in conservation tonight. I just need a little positivity in general. Today was the last day Sarah and I got to work together at our job. And that makes both of us sad, but we're not going to think about it. We're just going to be positive in the fact that we're going to continue bringing you new episodes of a little greener, hopefully every week. I will say next week, we might have a little bit of a funkiness. We might have a mini episode. There is a vague possibility. We're going to have to skip an episode, um, depending on internet while I'm moving, but this podcast will continue even from afar. So no worries about this little ALG podcast. So, uh, so yeah, that's where we're at right now. Should we just skip to the homework? Let's just skip to the homework. Let's just skip to the homework. Uh, the homework last week was super, super vague. If you um, listened to last week's episode, it was a episode about the Marine Mammal Protection Act, uh, International Whaling Commission, protecting marine mammals in general. And it's basically like, hey, if you're traveling this summer and you go to the beach, you should look up what you should do if you find a marine mammal, see what those local regulations are. And I'm proud to say that I did not do my homework for the week. We're in Indiana, guys. Uh, we're pretty far away from the beach. But I do plan to, if, if moving back to Pennsylvania, if we end up going what we call down the shore um, in the Philly area uh, in Jersey, I will look it up and I'm going to be on the lookout for some cool harbor seals and cool things that live out there. But look, look at you just it. practicing your local dialect already. There you go. <laughs> if my accent changes, just tell me. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I think. It oh, like I the, thoroughly enjoy things like that. Oh, the the Philly accent is not typically smiled upon. Maybe our international listeners would be like, "What happened to her?" <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, listen for that. Right now, I'm immersed in Midwest uh, assimilation, but I'm about to be around a bunch of Philly people, so. Um, so if you've watched mayor of East town on HBO, I basically sat the whole time being like, do I talk like that? Do I talk like that? And that's probably what I'm going to end up talking like. So sorry about that in advance. Anyway, Sarah, did you do your homework? I sure did not, but I did do my homework from previous weeks. Like I mentioned, I got, had gotten myself a sewing kit. I did. sew the hole in my shirt, I forgot to show you Casey, I will post pictures. Yes. Listen, it actually did not go very well. Well, it was your first try, Well, yeah, as much as I joked about it, I was like, it's not going to be that hard for me to sew up this little hole under my shirt sleeve. But I swear to you, like I've used a needle and thread before. (laughs) I have. But it didn't suture the shirt well. Took me, it took me so long to thread the (laughs) needle. That I was so irritated by the time that I even started sewing. Uh, that's the nice thing about suturing people, your 
needle, your thread's already attached to that needle. You just open that package and you go and you don't have to thread the needle. You've got more of a time crunch easier though. Easier <laughs> to tie knots, uh, tying the knots with that stupid thread. So I was very frustrated. And then I did just do like one continuous suture line is what I would call it um and I didn't quite pull it tight enough so there's still a little a little gap it's much better and quite honestly it would be wearable and nobody would ever know because it's in under my arm but I am gonna do just a couple more quick stitches in there to actually fully close up the hole because if you're gonna do it you might as well close it completely up so that's my whole sewing saga for you right there but that was that was the thing that I did since we talked last week yeah and and remember guys if you're doing if this week works better or you're just like getting to one of our episodes it's in the past always just tag us on social media tell us what you're doing show us all the stuff that you're working on um to be a little bit greener uh, or I guess I should say a little greener because that's the name of the podcast. Let's <laughs> brand properly. Uh, and, and we'll share it. We want to see you all the good stuff that you're doing. Uh, and we're not perfect. We're not always going to do our homework, but, uh, homework is such a bad word. Our challenges, our, challenges, our, our suggestions, suggestions, yeah. Softer, more positive things. <laughs> Don't feel like it's homework, but there is some accountability to it because you've yeah. got a little community who's wants to see the cool things that you're doing. So make sure that you share it with us. Also, if you've been listening for a little bit and you haven't taken the time to rate or review, that's a really good way to help us be able to connect with new listeners. And so if you don't mind just giving us those five stars, if we've earned them, um, and, uh, and, and writing a little piece, this is a way people can say like, Oh, that's what this is about. This is what people like. And hopefully we'll find more members of our audience that way and grow our community. Yeah, absolutely. And if this is your first week joining us, welcome. I know we do have some wonderful, wonderful listeners and wonderful friends of ours who've been sharing the podcast. So we really appreciate you for that. And so if you've found us that way. Thanks for joining us. We're glad to have you. We do typically start off each episode with a little kind of like a getting to know you question almost. So Casey, my question for you this week is who do you have a, like a conservation hero who is, or was your conservation hero or heroes in your life? Is there anybody in particular? I find it a difficult question because there's so many people that I admire in the conservation field. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because I'm a conservation educator, I get to kind of cover so many different projects. There's not like one person or project that I feel is really, um, like one particular thing, but I do want to cover a couple of the people I've been just so impressed with either reading their work or actually getting to meet them, which has been really cool. I read Dr. Ian Hamilton's work. Um, he was one of the early folks to be studying social behaviors in African elephants in the wild. And I find that so incredible. Um, obviously this is, I think back in the sixties, um, but some of the things he's been able to accomplish has been really amazing. So if you have, are looking for a book to read, go check out those. Cause it's cool to see like how far conservation has come. Dr. Carl Jones, I've had the privilege of meeting and he has like bred endangered species back into existence on the Island of Mauritius from like literally four individual birds, guys, like there's four birds <laughs> left. What are we going to do? He was able to use proper techniques to create a safe environment. And just basically 
helping assist these animals to become wild again. And one of the things I really admire about him is that he advocates for conservation as a long game and understanding that we can't just like save a species. Oh, we're all wrapped up. It's time to move to the new one. It's, he's very much an advocate for long-term funding for sustainability projects. And I thought that I've learned so much from him, but I'm going to go with my kid conservation hero. My kid conservation hero was Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Uh, looking back at him as an adult, I have a more nuanced view of, mm-hmm. of how he interacted with animals, but there was no one like him on planet earth <laughs> doing that level of enthusiastic conservation, educating, especially about animals that people were not inherently already attracted to. Mm-hmm. And he was my hero when I was a kid. I used to, my poor dog. I used to chase my dog around and, <laughs> and like catch him. Like he was an alligator. He's a little Jack Russell terrier. So that poor jingles, I'm so sorry. Uh, but like all I wanted to do was be him and talk to people about animals and I get to do that now, or yeah. I have been getting to do that. So, uh, it's for all the complicated feelings I have a little bit now, I, I can't not credit him with who I am today. And I think that, that I, that's my conservation hero. 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm the, I asked this question. I, I hate this question. I yeah, always, I don't like it. well, I, I think I, I don't like it for different reasons than you. This question makes me feel like I don't belong because I, I don't really feel oh, like yeah. I have a, a, a conservation hero in that sense. Uh, like, like you, you were just talking about, and I, you know, I've talked before on this podcast, how I didn't necessarily get into the conservation side of things until I was older, the animal, the passion for animals, I sort of always had. I don't remember though, being somebody who necessarily like, I, I, I did not care for Steve and I'm a little bit older. So, um, I was a little bit older, obviously when he was around, but, uh, I think Jeff Corwin a little bit at, at a certain point in life, I, thought was pretty cool but to call him a, my conservation hero I didn't here's a tough word yeah too far like you said though Casey almost anybody that we've had the privilege of sort of learning about or talking about or sharing their stories through our job almost anybody that does any sort of on the ground conservation field work is just a rock star to me because it's so beyond my comprehension. Like I've never done any research work or any field work. And so for people who can just sort of go out there and approach those problems and make a tangible difference is just mind blowing to me because my brain just sort of doesn't go there. I like to be the one who can help share their stories. That's how I feel that I can contribute. But every single one of those people are conservation heroes. So with that note, the person that usually comes to mind for me later in life is, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Dr. M. Sanjan. He's the CEO current, I think CEO currently of Conservation International, uh, which is a really cool organization, conservation organization. Um, And I think previously he worked for Nature Conservancy as well. And I just, I remember seeing him on a talk show many years ago and I don't even remember what he said or what he talked about. All I remember is the positive outlook that he just held on to 
with conservation and the environment. And I've since seen him in you know, other talks and other like videos that he's narrated and things like that. And I think that he does a really good job of explaining things well and helping to find like and, and accurately, like being accurate about what our what our issues are and still finding the positive and bringing that with still having hope in humanity and that we can take on these challenges that we're facing. And so I just, I really appreciate him and his approach. Um, and I hope that I can help do that for people in some small way as a conservation educator too. So he's somebody that I appreciate now in life, although you know, like I said, I wouldn't have been aware of him uh, to necessarily not that he inspired me to go into this field or anything like that, but he's right. somebody that I definitely uh, appreciate now in the field. So today we're going to be talking a little more about how we can stay positive, how we can hold on to that hope and find that hope in a sometimes overwhelming sort of negative world of environmental and conservation news. So I'm I'm looking forward to this discussion. I hope that it is positive. I hope it's helpful. But uh, before we get to that, we're going to have our review this week from Casey. So stay tuned for that. guys, we are back for our review portion of the episode. I am reviewing a podcast drilled and drilled is, uh, it's actually a pretty long podcast. I'm actually only going to review the first season because that is what I have consumed. And it is a, they describe itself as a true crime podcast about climate change hosted and reported by award-winning investigative journalist, Amy Westerfeld. I love true crime podcasts. Such a thing. So much. It is it is a thing. There's a lot of us. I don't know. I I think it's something about like calming my anxiety by being prepared for the worst sort of situation. Um but I enjoy it. And there's so many really well done ones out there, but this one, and again, I only listened to the first season and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, but it is, it's about climate change. It's a true crime approach to climate change. And I think that that's an interesting way already to frame the issue of climate change as a crime. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that she's framing it that way is because we started contributing to climate change before anyone really knew what was happening, but we knew what was happening a lot earlier than I think most of us realize. And all the main players involved really have contributed to becoming more of a crime. So basically um, this podcast interviews a bunch of people who were involved with the fossil fuel industry early on when scientists were starting to recognize that carbon emissions and other quote greenhouse gases are going into the atmosphere and resulting in a potentially warming earth. And it talks about how they basically went on a journey from wanting to expand to become energy companies and being part of the conversation and really wanting to adapt to a future where we could be part, they could be part of a 
uh, a world without fossil fuels too, to really stepping away from that and realizing they had lost their place at the table and starting the disinformation campaign that really has led to our current political climate around climate change. It comes up with all sorts of polls about how we used to be actually much less divided, uh, both politically and just as a general public, about the existence of climate change and the uh, ways and how severe of a threat it is. And I just, if you're ever thinking like, how did we get here? I think this is a really good look at how we actually got to the place where we are today politically and how that was an engineered step. This isn't the result of, of just like the way things kind of fell out. And some scientists think this and other scientists think that, and that sort of is what played out. Like this is something that has been put in place by people trying to preserve their vested interests in fossil fuels. And I just really recommend it. What I like about it too, is it's super short. (laughs) Each episode is only about 15 to 20 minutes long. And I think the first season is only something like eight episodes. Okay. So you can listen to the whole first season and the time it takes to listen to two episodes of a little greenie. (laughs) So if you have time, basically you have to go through to the end of their queue because they have been doing, um, we have are starting the sixth season of this of this podcast now and they're I think exploring in their other seasons some of uh, honestly like the criminal aspects of fossil fuel companies and in pollution scandals and things like that um and so I was listening to it back when we were in quarantine and I got such a like quiet rage within myself (laughs) that I had to give it I had to stop Um, and give myself a break from it. I just didn't happen to return to it, but I revisited the first couple episodes just so I made sure I remembered what it was about so I could give you this review for today. I do think that I, on my road trip, moving back home, I'm going to start listening to the second season to start learning a little bit more. I like history stuff. I like true crime stuff. So this is definitely up my alley. And if you're a true crime person as well, this might be a window into this sort of aspect of environmental crimes too. So that's my review for the week. I recommend it. Uh, Drilled, a podcast. All right. Thanks, Casey. It's really funny. You know, when Casey and I were planning our podcast and talking about what we wanted for a little greener, both of us said we wanted to have a longer form podcast that, and I've always said, if I, I don't listen to podcasts. You don't, you don't. <laughs> I, they're so fun to make, but I don't listen to them. But I did say I would rather, I feel like if I were going to listen to a podcast, I would rather listen to a long one. But also, I guess the benefit for me for a short one is it, that I think long ones are what I would want. Like if I were going on a road trip or something like that, so that I could listen while I was doing something and I wouldn't have to keep stopping and starting. But I think maybe, maybe a short one would help me like break into it a little bit True. so that I could just listen for a short period of time. My problem is if, if I just start listening to something that's really long, I get distracted and I will want to like be doing something else at the same time and I'll miss it. Anyway, so maybe I will try this one out. See, I'm like not a, a good long form person, but I mean, okay, think about it. Like if, if you don't like true crime because of like the gore aspect or the like horror aspect, 
that that's not really what I like about true crime. I, it is, it is terrible things. I like the narrative structure. I like the psychology of true sure, crime sort of I stuff. Yeah. Um, but really, and I normally like the long form podcast and I'm glad we both agreed to do a long yes, form yes. podcast because we're also not brief. I don't know if you guys <laughs> noticed. I think it makes sense for our topic. Right, right. Anyway. Um, but I think what I liked about this is a true crime podcast. There are some questions about like the ethics of explored exploiting crimes, basically. Mm. Um, but there is a disconnect of yourself from these terrible things that are happening. You are basically an onlooker. The difference with drilled is that you are like, this crime has also been committed against me yeah. and everyone else. And it, it caused so many emotions in me that I was glad that it was short so that I didn't feel like I was like, I don't think I can listen to another mm-hmm. hour on this. They're succinct to the point, I think pretty indictful of, uh, of what's going on. Some of the, it looks like in the later seasons, they do get a little bit longer. And if they are focusing on kind of a smaller instance, that's where I'm going to be able to really dive in. But I, I really recommend, especially like if you, if you're not sure about climate change, I think listening to that is interesting because you're hearing some of the evidence that it's put forward. And also you might hear some talking points that you've heard before and now understand where that is actually coming from and where we, we at least first heard some of the talking points used by politicians on both sides on the argument and how really the certainty of this happening has sort of been spun out into different directions by exploiting how scientists talk about big problems. Yeah. So I just, I just really recommend it. Even if you're really familiar, even if you're not like, that's a good little window. Awesome. I think it's a really interesting way to approach it. So yeah, I may try to check out some episodes of that. So thanks for the review, Casey. Appreciate it. And stick around, folks. We'll be right back with our main topic for today. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, this is hopefully going to be a positive one, or at least help you figure out how to stay more positive in the long run. So conservation can be kind of a, a tough topic sometimes. I think that sometimes it can feel a little bit overwhelming and, uh, you know, we might have moments of frustration or despair sometimes when we're thinking about these conservation issues that we're dealing with. So we're going to talk a, a little bit about some ways that we can combat that. So to start off with, Casey, I wanted to just touch on on why it can be so hard sometimes in this field to stay positive. So have you ever had a moment, and this doesn't have to be a big thing, but have you ever had a, a moment where you sort of just gave up or felt like it felt like you were defeated uh, when it comes to environmental issues? I don't know that I ever give up. I mean, obviously you've never given up. Well, yes, we're still here, but we're doing this podcast right now. I would say one of the times that I felt very defeated was when we pulled out of the Paris climate accords 
mm. as a country here in the U.S. Um, that was a really big accomplishment, even though it's also sort of a small accomplishment. <laughs> like it still doesn't it doesn't go far enough to address the actual issue. But the fact that like a number of countries were agreeing to make big changes, and then watching our country, who typically is pretty good about being leaders in this in in lots of different ways, just take a step back from that 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 felt like a victory taken away Mm -hmm. and then I would also say (laughs) that in 2020 when we had the time that Australia was having its really bad bushfires and at the same time the Amazon was also experiencing pretty massive fires I wouldn't say that was a time that I gave up but I will say it it radicalized me more. Maybe that's how I react. (laughs) I think that's maybe how I react to like bad situations is like, I want to look at the systemic issues and and how do we actually, that, that was just a moment where I, I took a step back and was like, there are certain things that I can do to help the environment, but like, I can't, (laughs) I can't stop this. Mm-hmm. by myself. I can't stop this by just advocating for my friends to help things. And not that I ever really believed that was the only way we were going to solve anything, but it really did put pressure on me to say, okay, what, what are we doing on a broader, higher up on the trophic levels of society level to be addressing things? Yeah. Um, but I would say that like, that was a pretty low point for me um, in the last year, thinking about conservation. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think that's one big thing that can make it difficult to stay positive is you do have those moments where you're like, these problems are so big. I feel like I can't do anything individually. And we've talked so much about how much we both value individual action and it's important. And it is, it is something that I do think is important, but yeah, it's not going to be the same or the thing that is ultimately able to solve all of our problems. And that realization sometimes can be hard to work through for sure. So I definitely, I think that's one piece for sure. It's funny as I was working on this and thinking about it, I had a very opposite end of the spectrum moment recently that, that made me just feel like this is, what are we even doing? This is pointless. (laughs) It was a completely opposite end of the thing. I was driving to work. I can't even remember if I told you the story before Casey, hopefully I didn't already share it on the podcast because it wasn't that big of a deal, but I was driving to work and sitting behind a car at a red light. Did I tell you this? I think so. And literally the person in front of me just sticks their hand out the window and drops their empty cigarette carton on the ground. And I was just like, what's the point? Why am I going to work today to tell all these people about all of these big environmental things and then trying to inspire them to connect to nature when this adult human being <laughs> in front of me doesn't know that he shouldn't be throwing his trash. You're a litter bug. <laughs> and for some reason that day that just did me in. And I was, I just, I was like, there's no hope. There's no hope because this, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, this person in front of me, is th- throwing their trash out. <laughs> yes, I have watched other Homo sapiens just take bottles and just 
toss them and yeah. it, it is it is a little mind-boggling like I mean I'm sure one day we'll cover like the little litter bug yeah. phenomenon and, and yeah. how that was also mm-hmm. sort of engineered but also like yeah they're who still who oh, why and it What's happens all the time because then the time. you know you arrive at work and the parking lot is just covered in things oh yeah people have just thrown out and all of that so Obviously that happens all the time for whatever reason, that moment for me that day was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think, you know, that's, that's just have just... a disgusting car like me, just <laughs> yeah, never me, me too. Out. <laughs> but but I, I think, you know, that's more of a feeling of nobody else cares, right? Like yeah. I'm in this alone there's not enough other people that care about this to, to make a difference. And we start just sort of feeling isolated in what we care about. So I think that's part of it. And quite honestly, I've also been struggling a little bit too lately because I think in part by doing this podcast, we're trying to cover so many different types of things and different issues that I'm just, I'm constantly now thinking about all of these things and just the number of issues can feel overwhelming. So we talk about how everything we do has an environmental impact and that's true. And every once in a while, I just sort of get bogged down in that. Like yeah. there's nothing that I can possibly do. Everything that I do is terrible for the environment. And, uh, and so I think, you know, that's a little bit of a mental trap that you can get into every, yes, everything that we do has an impact, but that doesn't mean everything that we do is right. completely unsustainable for the environment. I, so I will say like, I saw a like eco-friendly organization. I think it was, it was December, 2020 make this this infographic about the environmental impact of sending christmas cards mm. and I, I my gut reaction to it was fury <laughs> because like you said everything we have has an impact and there is a tendency within the environmental movement to guilt you for having any sort of little pleasures that if you're not being puritanical in your approach to being eco-friendly, then like, what are you even doing? But like in the middle of a pandemic, (sighs) trying to tell people not to send Christmas cards to their family who they cannot see because there's a global pandemic was a moment where I'm like, oh, this is why people don't want to listen right. to us. This is why people are not interested in what I have to say, right. because they're afraid that I'm going to tell them you can't buy a Christmas tree and you can't send Christmas cards. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, yeah. yeah, I, I, I can get that too. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about ways to sort of combat the, those feelings as well. Yes, we certainly will. So, but yeah, I think, I think those, those things kind of sum up the problems, right? So there's a lot of a lot of separate issues that we're hearing about all the time. There are some things that just individually, yeah, I feel like I can't make a difference. And there are some times where we feel again sort of isolated and that there's not enough people in our community that care about this. So we are going to talk about some ways that we can combat some of those things and and uh, keep a positive outlook. So I've divided my thoughts here into kind of sections. They might end up being a little bit arbitrary though. So Casey, you can certainly feel free to, to jump in at any time, even if we sort of go t- tangential to, to what I have here. I just kind of want this to be a discussion. So anything that comes to your mind, but the first kind of method for lack of a better word that I have in, in some ways that we can try to stay positive is to remember past successes. 
we have seen examples of how conservation efforts work. So I have a couple of things down here uh, in terms of specifics of that. Casey, here in the good old US of A, what's one of the big conservation success stories that probably most people in this country would, would think of or know about? That, uh, that classic symbol of freedom. <laughs> I was about to give you their Latin name, the bald eagle. <laughs> I wish you had. Uh, yes, so the bald eagle, the national symbol of the United States. Uh, Casey, do you, do you know a little bit about their history, the the threats that the bald eagle faced at all? I'm just putting yes. you on the spot here. And actually, thank you for bringing up one of my conservation heroes, Dr. Rachel Carson. Is it Dr. Rachel Carson? I don't know, actually. She's wonderful. I don't know that she is just because that was also a time where women had a lot of uh, barriers to becoming actual things. But basically, she was reviewing a lot of scientific literature and was finding consistently that DDT, which was a pesticide commonly used, was building up in our environment. And what we found is it was poisoning our rivers, our fish having human consequences, and it was weakening the shells of bald eagle eggs. And so that uh, in the 60s was really, they had, I think, initially declined because of hunting early on, but DDT was a huge threat to them. And I think there were only a couple hundred left by the time we started to make efforts to turn around. Yeah, absolutely. P.S. It looks like Rachel, Rachel Carson had a master's, but not a PhD. So Master Rachel Carson. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, Uh, And you should know that like she wrote this book, Silent Spring, and she was dying of cancer um, during the time. And like, that's something she tried to keep under wraps because she was afraid that the the chemical companies would lodge a war against her for being basically a bitter person dying of cancer and blaming them. So she like, I don't know, very brave lady. I I, uh, am, yeah, conservation hero right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Casey. So that's kind of the the story of the bald eagle in a nutshell. So they had multiple threats, habitat destruction, hunting, but contamination from DDT, DDT is was one of their primary threats and one of the biggest steps that we were able to take in terms of protecting them. They were, like Casey said, down to hundreds. So in the lower 48 states, their all-time low was 417 nesting pairs in 1963. And so this species was protected prior to the Endangered Species Act. There was something called the Bald Eagle Protection Act back in the 40s, and then later by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, but then ultimately gained even more protection, including habitat protection through the Endangered Species Act, which we've talked about before. And they were actually removed from the endangered species list. So they were delisted. I I guess back in, was it, was it 2007 that they were actually delisted? I can't remember now, but it, it was longer ago than I realized already. So it's been a while, but uh, by 2007, they had risen to 9,789 breeding pairs from a low of 419. So We've talked about, like we went from last week, we were talking about the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the success of that legislation. The Endangered Species Act is another example that has been really successful. In a lot of ways, you'll find people that kind of debate the amount of success, but we certainly have seen species 
recovering off of that list and the bald eagle is a prime example so this is people coming together governments taking action to give them protection to ban the use of ddt recognizing these significant impacts that that was having to bring these animals back from the brink of extinction so go ahead casey yeah i was gonna say also banning ddt is good for human health Mm -hmm. and that's actually something that gives me hope in conservation is oftentimes the measures we're taking to protect animals the good measures the stuff that we really really need to be doing are simultaneously good for humans banning lots of pollutants cleaning up our air and water protecting habitat we've talked about before helps us with all sorts of ecological services so i i like it when we we see those overlaps pretty distinctly like in the case of banning pesticides like ddt yeah and there's a couple more examples of that to tie into human health here as well that we'll talk about but so Bald eagles, you know, one of the quintessential examples here in the United States, it's certainly not the only species outside of the United States. We're seeing numbers rise in other species. I saw an article as recently as this past week talking about increases in Bengal tiger numbers. We've seen reports of mountain gorilla numbers increasing. Again, not that these animals are out of the woods, but we're seeing positive trends in their numbers after more conservation implementations, I guess, have been put into place for them. The white rhino is another global example. That was a huge conservation success story coming back from as low as somewhere around 100 individuals that their population recovered from. So even when things look very dire for a species, we've seen examples of those species being able to rebound and come back. So that's something that is worth remembering as well. Another big thing that you'll hear about as a conservation success story is the ozone layer and repairing the hole in the ozone layer. So Casey, how familiar are you with this one? So vaguely, basically there's, this gets confusing. Guys, this isn't climate change. That's something that's a little different. We had a hole in the ozone layer. Ozone is O3 because we breathe O2. O3, <laughs> layer of O3 helps protect from UV rays. A oh, big hole in it, I think, was happening over the Arctic. And that was one of the there's, things. There's an Arctic and Antarctic. Ugh, yes. Yeah. there, And so that was letting more rays through, right? And, and just, I mean, UV rays that are damaging to us as well. Right. Right. So the the reason that I asked Casey how familiar you are with it is because this is something that really happened before our lifetime right for the most in terms of of kind of learning about it and announcing it and then the the work happened to help yep. make it better so for Casey and I this isn't something that we heard as much about even in our our lifetimes as we were getting older it just it, it and again I don't want to say that it stopped being a problem it's still there but it was predicted to still be there it is getting better so we are taking the steps necessary to make this better based on what we know and it's repairing within the projected time that it was given to repair basically so 
this was first detected, this ozone depletion was first detected in the 1970s. And I believe that it was a paper published in 1985 on the Antarctic ozone hole. That was kind of like the, is credited with sort of the quote unquote discovery of this hole, even though we were learning about the depletion of ozone prior to that. So what happened? People took notice and were like, oh, hey, here's the problem. Here's what's causing the problem, these chemicals that are going into the environment. And here's what we can do about it. And we came together and came up with this, what's called the Montreal Protocol. This was an agreement by 197 different countries that came about in 1987, right? And it regulated the use of over 100 ozone depleting chemicals. I didn't realize there were that many. chlorofluorocarbons or CFCs are the ones that I was most familiar with hearing. And this comes from things like aerosol spray cans, uh, refrigerators, uh, air conditioning units, that sort of thing. And uh, so basically this regulated the production and use of chemicals like that. This is something that is still ongoing. It's sort of a living thing. It's been amended six times and as recently as 2016 to update and kind of change things as needed. Uh, But I've read articles from as recently as last year that still say that, yep, the, the hole is still there, but things are doing what they're supposed to be doing basically. And that's really cool. Like Casey said, this isn't climate change, but there were are some interesting parallels that yeah. you can take when we think about the issues that we're dealing with with climate change. This is a global thing. We are needing countries to come together and and to regulate the emissions of a gas. Yeah, imagine yeah. that. But uh, <laughs> um, oh gosh, I just totally lost my train of thought with what with what I was going to say about that too. So I don't know, but there are there are similarities there. And I think that this is a really positive thing that we can look at and say, we've done this. We've had this successful global agreements before that have been put into place and are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So this is something that can give you a, a lot of positivity as well. Just again, a past, past success. I think this is sometimes referred to as one of the most successful environmental agreements. So way to go, Montreal Protocol. Uh, And then I alluded to this before, but we've talked about other successful environmental legislation before, the Marine Animal Protection Act. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, Casey does a great job talking to us a little about that and how that has impacted marine mammal populations here in the United States. I did also want to mention another one that we briefly talked about on the podcast, but not really uh, dove into before, which is the Clean Air Act. So this is another one of those instances that has a big impact on human health. And this is the the Environmental Protection Agency estimates that this act and amendments to this act are responsible for preventing over 230,000 early deaths by 2020, as well as reducing the frequency of respiratory diseases like bronchitis and asthma. We've talked in the past about one of the barriers to solving conservation issues sometimes is actual physical cost. And there are costs associated with implementing the Clean Air Act, estimated to be about $65 billion worth of cost. But the EPA estimates that it's reaped almost $2 trillion in benefits. And I thought it was nice that they are including with that 
reduced medical bills and increased worker productivity because those are sometimes things that we don't think about when we are talking about environmental measures that these are going to have impact positive impacts that are not necessarily directly dollars and cents but are still going to be impactful in that way so I think have that, yeah yeah I was gonna say I also think that like it it is one of those moments where you can realize that sometimes we try and blame the individual person for their health outcomes like uh you know that their individual choices are impacting their lifespan but in the case of uh having dirty air all of us are are reaping the consequences and when we do cool legislation like this we are expanding people's lifespans by helping control an element that's totally outside of their control so again another thing good for human health good for the environment yeah All right, so that was kind of path number one to positivity is just remembering past success stories. We have seen how conservation works. And those are just a few random things. You can probably think of many others, but but past conservation success stories are really important. Another one that I do really enjoy as well. So my second pathway to positivity, I just came up with that and now I'm going to keep using it. Sarah's pathways to positivity. Here's number two. Uh, My second one is to look for the helpers. And this comes from a Mr. Rogers quote. Are you familiar with this, Casey? Yes. Uh, So Mr. Rogers said that this, he would was talking about his mother and he said when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news my mother would say to me look for the helpers you will always find people who are helping and so that was probably talking more specifically about like oh a a natural disaster or a house is burning down or whatever but I think it's very applicable in terms of environment and conservation issues as well. That's kind of why I wanted to start off talking about our conservation heroes with this episode. It is really important to remember that there, even when we feel isolated, so this is hopefully going to help combat that isolated isolation that we sometimes feel when I saw that person throw out their, their trash out of their car window, there are a lot of people helping each and every day. I think this is important too, because sometimes we see such dire predictions in news articles and things like that. First of all, it's important to remember that the news article is trying to get people to click on their story. So remember that too. But also anytime you see a prediction like that, that's usually based on if things keep going as they are right at this moment. And that's not happening. People are helping and things are changing. Not always as fast as we want them to, but they are changing. So we can look for the helpers in conservation issues. Uh, And and there are lots of great conservation and environmental organizations out there. So we've talked about some individuals. Casey, do you have any favorite conservation organizations that you love to follow and support? Yes, <laughs> but I am having trouble like picking just one. I guess the so first, many. The first one that popped to mind is the Turtle Survival Alliance. Uh, I've worked with the Turtle Survival Alliance in some work. Andrew has 
um, helped out one of their projects in Madagascar and then also actually gone to their center as well. Basically, their mission of their organization is zero turtle extinctions um, worldwide. And so they, the thing I really like about them is that they're involved with projects on so many different levels in so many different countries doing a lot of hands-on work. The cool thing about turtles is that they're one of those species that you can actually breed in human care and then just be like, and you're free (laughs) in the appropriate circumstances by the professionals. Don't release your pet turtles, but like this, they do some really cool work. I I did want to say that I do love that quote by Mr. Rogers. I think it's also important that this is, this is for times when you feel overwhelmed, but also remember that you can also be a helper. Yes. And that you should ask the helpers what they need. So when you support that conservation organization, look on probably on their website, it'll say support. And then you click on it. And a lot of times it's donating money because everybody needs funds, but can it also be doing things like sharing their posts to expand who they're reaching, uh, calling up your politicians, supporting a particular piece of legislation, uh, doing all sorts of different things. And so looking for the helpers is important. It's inspiring. Follow these people, but also don't be helpers. an onlooker. Yeah. 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 Every single one of us is a yep. helper. And I, I, hopefully that's an encouragement too, yes. that you can remember that again, we've, we've talked about how some, one of the challenges is that you feel like individually you can't make a difference and so this is a way so we're kind of attacking both of those things so you can cut that isolation by seeing all of these other people helping but you also remember that you're not doing it you don't have to do it individually right because you're part of a team and you can be a helper to help yes yeah it's a great point uh did you have another one or other than this I mean, I follow a lot of orangutan organizations, yeah. Dr. Ian Singleton's um, orangutan organization, which is escaping me off the top of my head, but he works with Sumatran orangutans. He does some really, really cool work on a lot of different levels from releasing orangutans. They rehabilitate back out into the wild, all the way up to doing things like documenting palm oil industry, setting fires to the rainforest and helping with the prosecution of offenders there. And so I find that that all very inspiring and, and I, I, I just like to see what they're doing and I like to ask for things for Christmas from their gift shop and things like that so that people can help, if, you know, if, if we're going to consume something and I'm an adult and if you can't pay my rent, maybe I want a orangutan a apron or whatever, you know, so, yeah. so that's another one that I was thinking of. What about you, Sarah? What's your favorite? So, well, I mean, favorite conservation organization, there there would be so many, but a couple of, I don't know, more unique or or if that's the right word that I wanted to to mention and draw some attention to one that, that I've gotten the opportunity to sort of work from a distance with previously in my career is called Grace. And it Hmm. is the Gorilla Rehabilitation and Conservation Education Center um, for Gorawar's Gorillas in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And these people are amazing. Yeah, they do incredible work. Incredible. They're so, so dedicated to these animals and the conservation of this species in such a very, very difficult environment. And what they do 
is incredible. So they care for growers, gorillas that have been illegally taken from the wild, basically. So these are animals that have been rescued from poachers. And uh, so they, they care for the, these animals at their organization and hopefully in such a way that they can work towards eventually reintroducing these animals to the wild. This is a challenging thing for great apes because of their social structure and, and all of that type of thing, but they, uh, that's their, their ultimate goal with these, these animals, if possible, to reintroduce these, these animals back into the wild. And then they also do so much wonderful education work in their local community, kind of fostering an understanding and appreciation. Grouse gorillas are found nowhere else in the world. They are found in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so helping to increase people's awareness and appreciation and, and being conservation educators, uh, kind of fostering that connection um, so that other people will, will care for them as well. And then also just working with their local community with what their community needs and kind of trying to find sustainable solutions to help local people live in harmony with their local wildlife. So I love this organization so much. That's, that's one of my, one of my favorites. And then another one that I really like that's been helpful to me is one that I, I always have trouble saying the name of, I believe Arasha is how it's pronounced. It is spelled A- R-O-C-H-A, and this is a, uh, a faith-based conservation organization, and that's, like I mentioned in our very first episode, one of my inspirations for being in this field and a reason why I do it is the creation care aspect of it, and sometimes that can feel a little bit isolating, too. It should not, <laughs> uh, but, but it does sometimes, so it's, it's nice for me to have this, this organization that does great things. They have an international organization and then organizations based kind of throughout the, the globe as well in different locations and even here within the United States in different states that do different on the ground projects. So that's another cool one that I really like. So find what inspires you. Um, BatCon, Bat Conservation International is one that yeah. I mentioned with our bat episode as well. I love the work that they do. So pick your favorite species or pick yeah. whatever issue is most important to you and, and find, find your organization. Also, if you like have a particular part of your identity that you feel like maybe isolates you from broader conservation, um, I'm, I'm thinking if you're someone who's a minority, but in your, the case that you just brought up there, Sarah, we're, we're being like a faith-based sort of tradition moving into conservation. Try and Google that, like put together those words. If you're looking for, you know, a black conservation organization, if you're looking for a Muslim conservation organization, they exist out there and you can find your community and then you can be one of the helpers in your particular community. And chances are, especially if you're from a more underrepresented part of the conservation community, uh, then you're going to have be able to make connections with people who don't necessarily feel like they're on the inside either. One of the things that I talked about in our first episode is that I think everyone should identify as a conservationist. <laughs> Um, but obviously that identity comes second to, or third or fourth or fifth, lower than many of our other identities or hats that we put on. And so if we can find areas where those intersect and look for yeah. intersectional, um, things, then that is 
a way that we're going to be able to tie in bigger communities to conservation success as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one other thing I want to mention to here while we're talking about helpers is the helpers, like we said, we're, we're all helpers. So when we're thinking about looking for the helpers, it's not just these big name conservationists or big conservation organizations that we should be looking to you can look at the people in your own life and boy, because of the week that I've had, I might get a little emotional (laughs) when I'm talking about this. Hopefully not. I'll try to rein it in, but there have been so many people in my life and we work in the industry. So maybe more so than the average person, I don't know, but probably if you're listening to this podcast and you have some interest in this, you can find people in your life who are, uh, are doing things to help, but I, I've just had the the opportunity to have so many coworkers and so many friends that do wonderful things in their own lives that they probably don't even realize that other people are are noticing and looking to them. So I have a few people I have no idea. Well, some of them I do, but no idea if all of them listen to this podcast or not. But my wonderful friend Brenna is just one of the most passionate and intelligent and thoughtful people. She cares so much about sustainability. She cares so much about the environment. She cares so much about the people in it. And she just, in her normal daily life, she'll use her platform. She'll use her social media. Uh, Like she's created uh, an eco-friendly a group uh, to share ideas and collaborate and, and bounce ideas off of with. She constantly is working to improve her own knowledge. Like she's incredible. I don't know how she does it. And it is such an inspiration to me, truly. Like even when I was thinking about this podcast, she was somebody that I thought about uh, that kind of inspired me along the way. Um, so Brenna, you're incredible. Um, another former coworker of mine, her name is Allie her, the personal steps that she has taken in her life. I remember a few years back, she started doing the, the like mason jar challenge where she would collect all of her trash for a month in a mason jar. I could not begin to think about doing that. And she wasn't doing it as like a flex or anything. She was just like, I want to try this and see how it goes and what I can learn about myself from doing this. And it was incredible to to watch and listen. And, you know, she would share how she was doing things and cutting different things out of her life or, or reducing her waste or whatever the case may be. And just sharing them in a very relatable, achievable way. Incredible, incredible. So, I mean, these are just people, they're just living their lives. They're just doing their thing. Um, and they're making such, such a difference. It's wonderful. I have another friend, Nicole, who is again, just the sort of most, um, passionate and inspiring. Uh, so her, her, I think conservation education is one of her gifts. And so her ability to just find information and share things in a helpful, inspiring way, um, is incredible. And then like you, Casey are, are, are one of mine for sure. And I mean, I talked about it before I talked about it last week, just your, uh, the, the way that you're able to like critically look at things and and find solutions, I feel like, and you're kind of, we talk about your passion for the like legislative side of things and reaching out and being involved in your local government and and that 
side of it has been such an inspiration to me. So look at the people in your lives uh, and see what they're doing and see what you can, can learn from them as well. Everybody's a helper. I'm not going to cry. I already am. It's fine. But, <laughs> it's true. Like I, that's, it's all 100% true. So, well, and, and that's why I'm glad we're still doing this too. I mean, this has been a highlight of the week, not generally because it's, you know, even though we go into some tough issues, I'm excited to break it down for people with you. And I don't know, this is hopefully listening to this has been a positive part of your life. It's not going to be, um, a downer like drilled kind of (laughs) but important still important your education sometimes you have to get to the downers but also um when you're immersed in as deep as we are that hope is so necessary yes so truly to keep going it is all right so we'll move on (laughs) to my next pathway to positivity so this next one is feels kind of redundant this pathway to positivity is find the positives but uh, but there you go I think it is important I, I mentioned earlier news organizations are trying to get you to click their headlines and it just is true that something that is negative or you know something that is sounds catastrophic is going to generate more listens views clicks whatever than something that's positive that's just kind of the way that it works so if you're looking for a good upbeat, positive news story, you're probably going to have to search for it a little more. It's not necessarily going to be as likely to just show up in your face. So there is one organization that I really like, except I'd forgotten about it for a while. Uh, and so I, I uh, looked them up again recently to, to make sure it was still around. But Conservation Optimism is actually what it's called. So conservationoptimism.org is a great site. They have a blog where they will share positive news stories. And it kind of like every week, they'll have a weekly recap of some positive stories. So that's a really good resource. You can follow them on social media as well, if that's easier for you. I'm not as familiar with this next one, but there's also uh, the goodnewsnetwork.org. That's not specifically environmental or conservation related, but they will, you can find those positive stories. They have like a tab on there too. It's like nature or something like that. Because I went looked at it the other day when you were talking about looking up positive news stories. Uh, My mom is really a pro at this. She likes to send me positive news stories. Yeah. Uh, Mostly it's like, they found this animal they thought was extinct, which like downer me is always like the genetic diversity is terrible. (laughs) Um, But, but, but I mean, basically because she has to hear me be so immersed in so many negative things that she wants to remind me that like not all hope is lost. And I do appreciate that even if I'm not always good at vocalizing it. Well, Uh, it's really funny. There was a story like that from this past week. Yeah. Did you see that about the mouse, the gold's, gold's mouse? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, it yeah, was yeah. that they were like rediscovered after it was thought to be extinct. It's actually just, we just discovered that it's the same as this other oh. that we were calling by a different name. So not quite as positive. So yes, you do have to take some of those things with a grain of salt, but it is a good resource. And um, just a couple of positive stories that I found from this past week. I won't spend a whole lot of time going deep into them, but 
the the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act passed with bipartisan support. This sounds really cool. So this is actually making just a, a connection of green space sort of across the state of Florida um, to protect habitats for uh, wildlife and, you know, thinking about things like Florida Panthers and but whatever else just kind of having this network of green space across the state so I thought that was really cool and really exciting to see strong bipartisan support for it as well and then uh, we talked uh, earlier about species numbers recovering is it Saiga, Casey? This is a species name so. that I only ever see Google and I've it. never heard anybody say out loud S-A-I-G-A. I think it's Saiga. Please, no please idea. Google them if you're like, what are they Their talking about? Their noses are They're crazy. so cool. Yeah. Ah, they're so cool. Yeah, they had this mass die off due to like, I don't know, some sort of bacteria that was naturally in their body got to the wrong part of their body and like yeah. a bunch of them died. Yeah. Um, so that's, I'm glad their numbers are bouncing back yeah. after that. Cause that was a very like devastating. Yep. They were also one of those mammals that people didn't actually, I don't want to phrase this wrong, but basically like they weren't reported to science until weirdly recently <laughs> where you're like, all oh, the megafauna have been discovered right. by 1900. And it's like, not the saga. <laughs> so yeah. So, yeah. Google them. They're cool. Yeah. And so that's a positive news story that popped up recently about their numbers recovering so it's not just positive news stories that we can look for as well. There's also positive developments, new projects, new technologies that we can keep an eye out as for also. One of my favorites that I've enjoyed watching over the past several years is one called the Ocean Cleanup Project. Casey, are you familiar with this? Yes. Yeah. So I, I just really like it because it was started by a teenager. This is a project from a Dutch inventor. I, again, name pronunciation, I believe it's Boyan Slat. He was 18 when he founded this organization. I think he came up with the idea like when he was 16 or something. So what have I done with my life? But it's been fun watching him kind of Positive, put this, you know, but fun, uh, fun kind of watching him put this into action. This is a, uh, as it sounds, ocean cleanup. He's working on an invention, uh, finding a way to remove plastic debris from our oceans. So pretty cool. Uh, feel free to look into that if you're interested. We talked about plastics a couple of weeks ago, and I recently came across an article about uh, bacteria from cow stomachs breaking down plastic. Plastic eating bacteria. Wow. Who knew? So again, is this going to turn into some miraculous solution to our plastic problem? Probably not. Probably not immediately, but it is yet another cool thing that we have learned that we can now take into the future and hopefully help us uh, move forward from here. So maybe, no, it's not going to be an immediate solution, but maybe something will come from it that will help us be able to manage our plastic waste a little bit better. So look for the positives. A couple more things just real quick. If you're ever just feeling really negative about things, disconnect. Just forget about it for a little while and just go back to the basics. We've talked about a lot on this podcast about the importance of just spending time in nature. So just go do that every once in a while. Don't forget to just go enjoy the nature that is out there. I just feel like that can't be overstated. It sounds like such a simple thing, but it is so rejuvenating. Hey, you listener, this is your official 
permission to take a break. Rest is necessary to all the hard work that we do. You cannot be your best unless you take periods of time to rest. And I have to remind myself of this all the time that my productivity does not equal my worth and that it is okay um, that my life will probably have a better quality if I am taking some time and nature is probably the best, most rejuvenating way. We've talked about it in episode two, I think about all the health benefits of just being out in nature. And it's a really good place to clear your head. It's a really good place to get re-inspired. It's a really good place. I promise if you go to your local park areas, if you visit a couple of them, you're going to find a pollinator garden. You're going to find some area they're pulling out invasive plants. And these are little things, but they are hopeful things. Absolutely. And then the last one we've touched upon in some of these earlier pieces too, but find your community. Remember that you are not alone. If this is something that is interesting to you and that you think is important, but the people around you don't necessarily share that, find the people that do. So yeah, look for those conservation organizations like Casey was talking about reach out to us here at a little greener that's part of what we want to do here is create a community of people who care and we can help inspire each other and encourage each other and uh and and be there for each other if you're interested so if this is something that is important to you find your people and we will encourage each other along the way so that's what i've got casey anything else you want to add in terms of how you stay positive or hopeful that we haven't touched on yet I, I think in general, something that I try and come back to is that people are good. We talked about looking for the helpers and that there are barriers that we can impact in helping us as a society move towards a more greener future. And that, that is a core value I have. That is something that I come back to to help me recenter myself and move forward. And I hope that you can find some sort of place within yourself and come from a, like, I don't think rooting your environmentalism within a disaster scenario of like, I have to be an environmentalist or everything dies. Mm -hmm. I find myself sometimes framing it that way to myself. And that puts way too much pressure on me and burns me out a lot faster than to say, there are so many things we can accomplish together. We can move forward looking for the helpers like you talked about and finding that community. I think basing your own self-motivation in that positive framework is going to help out too. Yeah, very true. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully you found some something you can shoot for in there, something that will help you hold on to hope as you move through this conservation environment sustainability world. And we'll come back in just a moment and we'll talk about our actions for the week. Welcome back, everyone. I have just a couple of really, I don't want to say small, but quick actions for this week that tie into several of the things that we talk about. We talked about our conservation heroes from the 
I don't want to say famous, but the more uh, global conservation project realm to our own personal friends and family. If you've got a conservation hero in your life, tell them, reach out to somebody around you who is a helper and send some encouragement to them. So Casey mentioned that you could do this with conservation organizations that you follow. They, they, they need your support. If you can reach out and support them via a donation, but honestly, even just to reach out on a social media post to let them know you appreciate what they're doing uh, or share that share on social media. But truly, if you have somebody in your life who has been an inspiration to you also personally, friends or family, let them know. Tell them, tell them how what they're doing has been an encouragement to you. And I think that that will be uh, really end up being an encouragement to both of you. So that's action number one. I love that action, by the way. I think that is fantastic because I just listed through my brain as you were talking like five people that honestly, like I haven't talked to in a long time, Mm -hmm. but I'm friends with on social media and I want to tell them how cool they are. (laughs) And this is a good opportunity to do that. Good. Well, I hope I like, I I do think hopefully that will make both them feel more positive and, and hopefully you as well through doing that. And then my next one is, so we talked about how those positive environmental stories can be harder to find. So we want to help spread the news a little bit. So find a a positive environmental story and share it. You might share it face-to-face with somebody who's interested. You might share it on social media. If you find a cool, positive environmental story, you can also share it with us, uh, whether that's uh, tagging us on social media or or email it to us. If there's something cool, if there's something positive happening that you come across, we listen, we love to find those positive stories as well. So send it our way and we would love to hear that. So a couple challenges for you to take on Casey, if they want to reach out to us, where do they do that? Well, on Facebook, a little greener podcast on Instagram. We are a little greener pod and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com with thoughts, comments, positive stories. We're talking positivity. So no complaints this week, (laughs) taking the week off from that, (laughs) but no, really, we, we love to hear from you guys and we want to know what you want to know about. I've actually gotten a couple topic suggestions for some people, from some people that I'm hoping to implement in the next couple weeks but we appreciate everybody's support i hope you'll bear with us if next week is a little bit different but thanks for joining us again and thanks sarah for some positivity for the week yay yay all right thanks everyone that was a very half-hearted yay i didn't mean it like that yay (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Uh, thanks for listening everybody have a great week and we will hopefully talk to you again next thursday Bye.